Attention, please. Eastern Airlines Flight 19, now ready for departure. Welcome aboard the Walt Disney World Express Monorail. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're entering the vacation kingdom of the world. There's enough land here to hold all the ideas and plans we could possibly imagine. We call it Epcot. will be our experimental prototype city of tomorrow. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast. Taking you back to the vacation kingdom of the world, the way it was, and the way it is in your memories. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the wonderful world of motion. General Motors now invites you to travel the open road, to discover that when it comes to transportation, it's always fun to be free. Welcome back to the Retro Disney World Podcast. This is Episode 6, uh, World of Motion Part 2, named Stubborn Donkey Part 2. So we're going to be going through the rest of World of Motion tonight, the ride and down into Trans Center. Um, but always, before we get started, we're going to uh, turn back a little bit from the previous podcast and, and other ones uh, and go over some corrections and comments uh, that, that we had come up and uh, in, in some mail that we received. So uh, first up I wanted to bring up is that <clears throat> last month I mentioned the Inside World of Motion, there was a black and white film that was projected um, right, right around the, the Model T scene, right, How That's what where it was, I think. Or right, that's right. That's yeah. Right. And um, I mentioned, I said, I think I know where that's from. It's some sort of special special film. And, and indeed it was. It's 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 in the National Archives. I, I looked it up. And it's called The Trip Down Market Street um, in 1906. And uh, what's really interesting about this film is that they, they hand-cranked the film and, and literally went down the trolley tracks uh, down Market Street in San Francisco. Uh, but the other interesting fact is that it records San Francisco just a couple days or weeks before the earthquake and fire. So um, we're going to post a link uh, to it in, in this uh, podcast article uh, so that you can take a look at that. So you can see it a little, little more detail of what they were projecting. So with a little, uh, you know, uncovering some history there, it turns out that that wasn't any specific piece of random film that that disney chose to project uh turns out it was actually a very historical piece of film so um another comment in terms of the queue areas we found a video if you've got two minutes of your life that you want to explore and watch people get on to world of motion uh there's two minutes on youtube we'll post a link for this as well just watching people get on in the load area and you can see uh, it's very empty at the time. There's only a handful of people going in. They filling up most of the Omni Movers, but uh, there's nobody in queue. But you can see how plain the room uh, actually actually was. So there wasn't a lot a lot to it. Did you say that was nine? Did you say that was ninety four? Ninety four. Yeah. So that's a year before it closed. Exactly. Exactly. So you can really see how it started losing its 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 pull. Yeah. Um, shout out to uh, to Mike Lee from White in Your World for that one. Yep. That's that's his. Excellent. So how I've got one for you. Now, we talked last month how when you came up into the sun and then you, you, you came into the building as you went up that ramp, you made the turn, and I thought to myself, okay, they did a great job blocking the light, but your eyes outside are still going to be adjusted to the sunlight, right? It takes, what, a good two minutes for your uh, the, the cones and the rods and your eyes to adjust and swap there. So my question was is that, did anybody ever notice out there, or do we have any concrete evidence that 
the lighting in the first couple scenes would have to be um, brighter to allow your eyes to adjust rather than later things would have to be dimmer as your eyes got used to the darkness so most rides we go in we go in the queue like in horizons you're inside you have time for your eyes to adjust but this one you're, you're adjusted you go outside you're blasted with sunlight and then you come back in so just a human nature scientific thought i came up with that's that's an interesting question i know when um when you would make that transition, it was oftentimes hard to see the feet uh, that mm -hmm. were climbing on the walls. And I didn't know if that was partially because the lights were trying to project into the sunlight. Um, that tube did last, I don't know, I'd have to go back to actually watch a video to see how long it was. It was a number of seconds as you made that transition in. It was, you know, kind of lengthy. Sure. Um, so maybe there was a certain amount of time that was in there that they felt would be adequate to get your eyes adjusted because the first scene with the caveman and the foot power doesn't have any projection. But as soon as that's over, there's projectors uh, showing all the different types of boats before they get into the water transport. So right. your eyes would have to be adjusted by that point, which is fairly quick. Fairly quick, yeah. So I didn't know maybe the scenes would be brighter. And then as you went through the ride, they would get slightly dimmer as your as your eyes hmm. adjusted but it's an inter interesting thought yeah just a thought because most of the rides you don't go outside for so um so with that how you too you had you had a correction from last uh last month as well right yes i misspoke i i in some of the older stuff um i thought i had seen some references to the the attraction part of world of motion being called it's fun to be free but according to all the guidebooks um, it's just called the world of motion. Yeah. So the world of motion pavilion houses, the world of motion, the ride and trans center. So we, we own up to our mistakes. If we find them, we'll, we'll correct them. So, alrighty. So, uh, I think that's all the, the major, uh, rewind stuff we had for, for last month. So, uh, let's, uh, let's get into, uh, the remainder of the ride. Now we left off, uh, just before we got to probably the most iconic scene of world of motion. Um, and that is the uh, world's first traffic jam, which never a person, I think, went in there and didn't lean forward or, or try to straighten their body to look. There was just so much going on in that, right? right? I mean, it was, it was amazing how much was in there. Yeah, and also not just uh, not just the picture that we always see. There were actually there was stuff as you were transitioning into that room that was going on on the left and right. So, um, that's easy to forget about. Um, and yeah, that is a, that is a section that is certainly packed with detail, um, thanks to Mark Davis. So, um, so as, as we left the previous scene of the horse and, uh, the blacksmith looking at the guy, like cranking the, the back of the buggy up and down on your, uh, and how hold on, I should probably say, if you haven't listened to part one, you may want to listen to part one and pause us here, <laughs> go and listen to stubborn donkey we, part one and come we back. We could just wait. We got, yeah, you, you know, know what? We, we're going to sit yeah. here, go, go ahead. It's about an hour and a half. We'll come back and, and it goes, <laughs> this is part um, two. Yeah. Um, so, so, so that was on the left-hand side with the film. And then immediately on your right-hand side, there was a streetcar. Um, with a conductor in the front uh, ringing a bell. And um, I'm trying to remember if there, there, there had to have been people in the streetcar as well. Um, and then once you got past him, 
then you actually saw the the large scale uh, world's first traffic jam. So you had a horse-drawn cart, uh, and you probably everybody has seen this picture, but I'll just go into some of the details. So there's a horse-drawn cart that's turned over. There's fruit and chickens kind of like splayed out all over the ground. Um, the chickens are kind of in a box, and their heads are going left and right. Um, the fruit is is all over the place. There's a farmer that has his uh, uh, the horse by a rope, and the horse is kind of freaking out. He's trying to pull on the on the uh, the horse to like calm him down. Uh, then there's a ice truck uh, to the right-hand side, a double-decker bus sort of facing in front of you. Um, there's automobiles uh, to the back left and to the right, um, two different models with like people inside, and they're covering their ears because of uh, of all the noise. So, and that's the part of this thing is the noise of like the bell of the streetcar, um, people honking their horns, people yelling for them to get out of the way. It's supposed to be just like this cacophony of sound. That's like driving everybody crazy. And then, uh, down in the bottom by the chickens and the, uh, and the fruit there's, this is one of those things that they showed in videos over and over and over again. Ad nauseum yes. <laughs> is this guy like popping up out of the, um, out of the manhole cover, um, and peeking and looking what's going on and then like putting his head back down again. He had that surprise look. Was he reused from somewhere to... It's that... It's, it's that same, is it the same guy again? again? It is. Yeah, okay. It it's it's the, the guy in the Leonardo. Yeah. Yeah. Who's the guy in the Leonardo. So, okay. yeah. That, he, he got a lot around. of... Uh, yeah. He's... And that's the, that's the thing. The figure... Now, even the within that section, the figure reuse is, is pretty amazing because... Uh, I want to say they probably used like two or three figures like multiple times within the same scene, but just with like different hair, uh, different costume and maybe different uh, body style. Uh, they completely changed him around or changed them around enough that you didn't really notice unless you went through multiple, multiple times. Right, right. You'd never pick up on it. Now, you uh, you mentioned the ice truck, too. There was the, the kids chipping away. That always got my grandfather chuckling because we'd go through and he would always have to tell the story of how he used to get ice and oh i remember the days of the ice box and you know, so it was, <laughs> it was neat to see you know and, and whenever i see that picture now it reminds me of my grandfather yeah made yep. fun of him and now you have an entire podcast dedicated to remember when <laughs> exactly see but that is a you know a great little historical detail <laughs> gag that you know that um yes that's something that like a grandparent could like relate to you know their grandchildren and tell them like what that really was which right. which was awesome yep um there's and there's all kinds of little things like that there's um there's kids on sort of like makeshift go uh not go-karts but like uh carts that you used to see sort of like in the little rascals type things oh, like the ones made out of the uh wood crate or something right like that. exactly yeah. back yeah. to the future or back yeah. to the future that's right yeah <laughs> there you go Tons of great little historical details. And there's one detail that uh, confuses me to this day because if you typically look at like Mark Davis's drawings and the models uh, that they would build from them, it's like those would be translated one to one directly in real life. But one thing that I noticed on the on the model um, that changed when they actually built it is there is a sign on the front of the double decker bus. And in the model, it says livery. Um, but in the attraction, it says city transport. Now, was that going to be a Mark Davis joke that there were going to be animals on board and it would be, had become a stable as a result of the crash? Well, so I had to do a little bit of research because, of course, I just have to do that. Well, that's, so, that's what we're paid to do here. So, right. That's, that's, <laughs> that's where we get the big, all our, all, uh, all our Disney dollars come from. Exactly. 
So a uh, livery for buses just meant that it was a private bus service versus a city run uh, or a so government run transportation. Just like service. today with license plate, they say livery on it. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Yeah. So, so yeah, so that, that sort of led to the taxi system and pr- I guess the private buses were very popular, uh, particularly hmm. in England and in the Northeastern United States um, when that started. So, Interesting. Um, but I don't know if people for that reason would be get confused and then assume that it had something to do with horses. So they changed it. <laughs> I mean, if there was I, a chicken on board, right. And the guy was changing the sign delivery, that would be funny. But yeah. So I don't know. Very, very odd little detail there. Yeah. Um, so that really was the iconic, uh, scene that was that in the center of the building too. What was it? Were you kind of, no, it's, you know, it probably sat a, about mid attraction, so I, I would okay. guess it would have to be close to that. Somewhere. And this room was particularly huge in order to hold all this stuff. This is a very, very large room because um, it is. It is a. This isn't a like a small scale double decker bus. This is the same size as the omnibus uh, that you'd ride on Main Street, and full size cars, and a full size truck, and a full size trolley. So this was a a big, big space, and, and a city behind it too, because there's a an entire city block. Um, built around that right right yep i'm just trying to look at the blueprint here to see where that where that was in terms streetcar yeah scene 23 it's there it is there it's definitely huge so uh so from there then we kind of make a a turn to the to the right and we start heading out into the country uh and we see uh a picnic so now the car is established and people are going out on sunday drives and there's a a little tableau to the right that has uh, sort of like a man and a woman kind of in the sort of dandy fashions of the time. The guy's playing a mandolin. Uh, <laughs> they've got a picnic lunch out and there's like a couple squirrels hanging out and watching. Uh, and then this is the point where we transition from uh, from auto transportation to the airplane. So um, right as you go past them, there is a large billboard up advertising an air show. Uh, and then there's part of the part of the billboard is cut out, and then there's a projection of airplanes flying by. And uh, on a personal note, as a kid, I always liked this because the date of the air show was April 30th, which is my birthday. So I thought it was really cool that there was a <laughs> oh, 15 a, days from now. Yeah, so I thought it was really cool that there was like a thing with my birthday in it. And I don't know if you got do you guys ever look to see if your birthday happens to get used any place in the parks? You know, I. I... I haven't looked, but that's an interesting thing to do. It is. There's one at my, the April 30th date I noticed appears in one other place on like a poster for a, a ship that's leaving in the Columbia Harbor house. Really? So I'm always, so I'm always like, ah, oh, that's cool. Cause <laughs> usually. So I you can't, what, what you're telling you, you, you had your birthday, you immigrated here and then you, you also went to a, a county fair and air show on the, that's right. So, okay. That's, that's what we do. Our family. <laughs> Um, oh, and then, uh, probably the, another one of the gags that is, they didn't really publicize, but is very memorable as you passed by this billboard, there was a policeman on a motorcycle, um, sitting behind the billboard, like waiting, basically waiting to pick off speeders. So it's again, that old kind of gag of like, you know, the police waiting behind a well, wait, waiting behind a billboard to like get people on the Sunday drive as they're speeding. And he, he looked 
the part. I'll tell you, that was one character that he just had this kind of stern, you know, he had the goggles on and <laughs> right. the growl of the motorcycle revved. He looked like he was ready to take off and take care of somebody. And that face is probably one of the most reused faces in that ride because that motorcycle cop is also the guy that's the streetcar driver. He's also the uh, the surprised guy uh, with the horse. That's the blacksmith. He He ends up getting used over and over again. And then uh, he also got moved to uh, to the Pirates of the Caribbean in Disneyland after the ride closed. So there's at least one figure of him on Pirates now. Still there. He's cool. Johnny Depp, right? Yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> just looks just like Jack Sparrow. That's right. it's, it's uncanny. <laughs> How did they know back then? Disney magic. <laughs> Disney magic. Um so then after uh, so then after we see that, then we move into like the full barnstorming scene uh, and we pass a, a car on the left and a car on the right with like families with kids. And there's a, a kid hanging out on the running board of one of them with a uh, like a balsa airplane with the uh, propeller spinning. Was that motor driven or did they use air? Do you know? I, that would have been motor driven. It was motor driven. I didn't know yeah. they had like a fan off to the side. Or... <laughs> just for reliability's sake. That's I'm, true. Yeah, That's true. just simple. Um, and then... Um, in front of you at that point is a full-size biplane and there's kind of this uh, flapper girl standing next to this pilot that is done. I don't know. I'd say he's very kind of Walt Disney-esque almost. He, he is. He's kind of got thing, that right? look. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know it's not supposed to be him, but it's... But it, and it's it's the right era for that, right? And he's kind of proud of himself for what he did. Yeah, he definitely. definitely yeah, it's, it def- the caricature definitely captures that spirit of, you know, sort of that huckster, huckster barnstormer uh, of the time. And uh, and he is that guy is one of the few like custom uh, sculpts that was done specifically for that because it is such a specific thing. So, J- uh, JT, make a note of that and, and uh, the, the, get you the picture here. We got to put that up there. Make sure we get that in the Walt Disney lookalike. Yeah, I've got you. Uh, send you the image. We definitely will add that in. Yeah, let's... it's got the mustache and everything and that will be in the show notes section. Now, uh, how on didn't the did the prop start a couple? Was the prop spinning on the biplane, or did it? Yeah, yeah, yep, it was it going sure was. too, right? Yeah, yeah, and you hear the noise from that, right? Right. Yep. Uh, so then, from barnstorming, we kind of quickly go into this um, this very fast segue. Then that's supposed to take us from like that time period um, with automobiles to the current time period. So there's four cars in this room and behind each one of the cars is like a large magazine and then the magazine sort of like where an image would be in the magazine has uh film running just like indicative of the time period and we we pass like four different general motors products so uh the first car is a 39 cadillac with a um with a couple uh, married in there and the the famous sort of like uh I guess hidden Mickey or like little hidden nod <laughs> to Imagineering is that there is a sign on the back that says just wed, or I think it's written uh, on the side. So instead of saying just married, it's just wed. And of course, W E D was the initials of Walter Elias Disney, which is the company that Imagineering was at that point. And, and just in case anybody's wondering, he was married in 25, not 39. So the date of the car does not. <laughs> <laughs> he married Lillian in 25. It's not his birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Then, uh, then we pass a uh, a 1947 Buick LaSalle convertible that's got a bunch of college kids in it, 
and uh, our banjo playing guy is in the back, except he he's got ukulele. Back again. Yep. Uh, with his uh, nice little hat on. And uh, I. this is kind of like an odd thing, but I want to say um, the girl sitting next to him, mm-hmm. I, I think there was definitely a shortage of African-American figures at that point. I mean, you see them reused over and over again. Right. And the girl sitting next to him, to me, does not look like she is sculpted as an African-American female at all. To me, it just looks like a Caucasian girl with brownish skin. So yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I only call that out because I think it's it was a, perhaps a little disingenuine for Disney not to like make that extra effort to do that correctly. But right. I... I don't know. I know. And it's very sensitive. So I, it just seems, it, it always struck me as odd and I could be completely wrong. So I just hmm. put that, that out there. That is interesting. Um, then there's a 1955 Chevy Nomad station wagon and it's just packed with like a little league team. Uh, Nomads kids. are sweet. Yeah. <laughs> that is an awesome little car. They're uh, so worth so much money now too. Oh, really? Are they? Yeah. You really can't find them. Is there was there something distinct or special about that car that makes it a? It was just a two door station wagon. That was the big thing. Hmm. I mean, like that wasn't really. I don't know the specs on them. I'd have to look it up. But yeah, they're 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 worth quite a bit now. It's still like a pretty large car, though, even for for a two door. Uh yeah, I mean it's got the station wagon back end and and whatnot, and it kind of had, as far as I remember, a little bit of Corvette look to it, partially sort of, but hmm. I could be wrong. Um, okay, and then the last car is a, 19, a 1966 Pontiac, um, and it's loaded down with a family vacation. There's a dog with his head sticking out of the window uh, with his tongue flapping in the breeze, uh, and it's uh, just packed to the gills with, like, suitcases and all kinds of stuff up at the top. Yeah, there's all sorts of crap. I remember my dad – my dad always had this term for any family like like that – He'd always call them like the McFarkles. I don't know why he had this name as the <laughs> McFarkles. And we'd go by it and he'd be like, there's the McFarkles. They're on vacation, you know? And, and <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's true. Like it, it, the stuff, the trunk is open. There's, there's crap on the top. There's fishing nets, you know, uh, uh, water skis. Everything's tied down. As you said, how it's, uh, but the family looks, you know, they look entertained. They're they're ready to oh, go. Oh yeah, they're they're happy. They're 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 definitely ready to go on there. And everybody in this scene, it's like yeah. they're excited they, to be like in one of these cars and going somewhere and doing something. Because it, it was it, like they're packed to spend a week away from civilization at a place like Roy's cabin. They they could be going to Roy's cabin. That, that's they could be like. fishing is there right. Was it there was there was a line in in the in the um in the ride too where it said we're going. I remember. Gary Owen's voice saying we're going to explore the open road or something to that point. Was that right before we got into this? Uh, yeah. I think it. Or maybe. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, we're gonna have to. We may have to check up on that one. Yeah, that might have been. Uh, I want to say that it was at the point where they're at the uh the picnic. Okay. Now, Sunday. We'll see. All right, we'll have to ride we'll it again. Up. Now, one other note before we get to the last car here is that. Uh, oh, this is the last car. I'm sorry. These were all slightly suspended, right? And the the wheels were turning. Yeah, that's right. right. So they, they you kind of got. I mean, there were projections behind them and stuff, but there were you kind of got the idea that I don't think they I don't think they vibrated or moved back and forth at all. But I remember the wheels turning like they were 
you know there you know what i want to say for now this is all from memory so i could be completely wrong but yeah. i want to say that they did maybe sort of shimmy a little bit okay. to the left and the right and i yep. want to say there also might have been like uh sort of a projection of light off of a disco ball that was turning oh, yeah. so down below it kind of looked as if there was uh, stuff going you know uh to give you that sort of illusion of speed right right so the lights would kind of go by so there was just a little bit of motion to it to give it uh, that little extra look so all right well now i have to find and that um, unfortunately it may or may not show up in the video so we'll have yeah to... I've, I've got the video up here i'm looking and it's it yeah the cars do kind of look like they're they're moving around a little bit it's definitely definitely hard to see we may have to find a uh, a clear, clear yeah very very subtle. So then, uh, so so then after that, now we're kind of making that transition from uh, from the past uh, to the present, and then to the future. And uh, One, two, three, you can't four. do anything with transportation at Walt Disney World unless you have a speed tunnel. It's like cowbell. It needs yeah. more speed tunnel, right? Yeah. I got a prescription. <laughs> I got, got a fever. In the prescription is more speed tunnel. <laughs> speed tunnel. <laughs> yeah. In fact, uh, this. Speed tunnels, uh, it's not, doesn't have to have just one speed tunnel, not two speed tunnels, but three, three speed tunnels. That's because you can't have enough speed tunnels as far as I'm concerned. And I have a, and I have a challenge for everyone on the, on the speed tunnel number, number three. So I'm hoping there's another geezer like me that, uh, might be able to remember something. So, um, speed tunnel number one, uh, was, uh, film. Um, shot in 70, 70 millimeter of like an underwater scene, um, snowmobiling like through trees in the snow, uh, swamp buggy, a uh, bobsled run, a helicopter flying over a canyon, and whitewater rafting. So I, I got a comment on the f- first speed tunnel here, House. So I would we'd be riding with my grandparents and and my grandfather whenever it was moving faster, like the helicopter, he'd go wee. Right, because it was like, oh, you're moving, right? He thought it was great. So, and the bobsled was great. The swamp buggy, I don't, yeah, no, I don't remember that one. I remember the un- underwater one. I'd be like, oh, damn, why is this? On? It did, you didn't have that same sense of moving as the, you know, and the whitewater rafting, same thing. It was like more of this up and down, but the, the, the quick stuff was always, it was always exciting. It was similar in Horizons, too, right? When you got that. Uh, that was another place where my grandfather went wee when you flew through the DNA and it felt like you were spinning, right? But uh, but I just remember being bummed. Like you get in there and you're like, oh man, we're getting, we're getting whitewater rafting and underwater. That's not what I want. <laughs> I don't remember the order, but. You don't get to pick your own adventure like in Horizon. No, no. This great, is like right? you got where it was in the loop at the time. All right. So then now speed tunnel number two, as if that's not enough, let's amp it up a little bit. That's right. So speed tunnel number two was this like this weird lava tunnel looking thing and sort of like these stars like spinning uh, as if you were in the center of a uh, like a cylinder and the stars are affixed around you and spinning through very weird, very abstract. Um, I, it, the lava tunnel thing almost reminded me a little bit of the special effects that were Blender. done from the black hole. Yeah. It, it did oh, look yeah. a lot like the black hole and, 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 I don't know. I have a comment to say when we've talked about all three here because I'm trying to trying to piece this all together. But yeah, so I, w- I actually need to go back. I want to go back and watch the black hole again and see if maybe they sucked some of the footage out of there or something. Okay, that, you get combat pay for that. 
<laughs> having to having to sit through the black hole again. Said nobody ever. <laughs> but I, I have a, I have a theory on this. How? But go ahead, talk about speed tunnel. All right. And then Great. speed tunnel number three was footage from Tron. So yeah, I it's, it's Tronish. Yeah, and there was there was actually before you got so each one you'd go through the speed tunnel and then there'd be like a forty between a forty five and a ninety degree turn to get you to the next speed tunnel and then a forty five and a ninety to get you to the next speed tunnel, and this one uh, the transition here also had some projections uh, bounced off of mirrors of like future transportation systems. So there's these kind of like modern looking cars and buses and things that show up in Trans Center later on. Um, as a transition to, as you get, uh, sort of like from the periphery of the speed tunnel into the middle of it. And then, yeah, and then they use the footage of sort of like, uh, Flynn's descent into the Tron world after he gets zapped by the MCP. Um, so where, where my challenge to the geezers comes in is I have a very vague recollection of this, uh, being added later and that there might've been something else in speed tunnel number three first. Hmm. Um, and I have uh, a book. Um, I just looked this up. Tron came out in July of '82. World of Motion opened in October of '82. Right. It's it's close. Oh, I mean, close. It, it definitely could have been. Um, there's. I have a book called The Walt Disney Studio Story, and it covers uh, not only all of the theatrical films, but also things shot for theme parks. And it kind of hints to Tron being uh, an add-on. Um, but I don't know. It's it's. I don't know if my memory is failing me here or not, or if uh, if it was. It could have always been there, and I was just excited when I saw it because I was actually one of the handful of people that saw Tron in the movie theater, and I recognized it and thought that it was cool. So, um, so I don't know. Um, and so let's find out what your comment is. Yeah, because I'm so curious. Oh, mine. Yeah. Okay. So we we've gone through the past, right? And. Um, as you're, you're coming around, you 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 know you're entering the speed tunnel just after seeing what was maybe what only 20 years ago at the time. Um, you are then shown video of today or a film of today, um, bobsleds and things that you're familiar with in terms of of uh, you know have, seeing have, having seen on a daily basis. Then you go through this black hole, these these shining stars, and then all of a sudden you're in the futuristic. I'm wondering if those three are meant to be a transition of time travel, because as we know what we're going to talk about, what the final scene was. So it's you're, here we are today. We're going really fast. We've we're breaking through the black hole into the time warp. We're now in the future. So that that was my thought on the the three speed tunnels. That sounds as reasonable as anything else, <laughs> anything else out there. <laughs> you win, sir. I, I win. All right, all right. So if anybody yeah. else has, if you'd like to write in to podcast at retrodigital.com. <clears throat> Well, that is one of those imaginary things, right? They're like they're yeah. very they're very big on time travel stuff. It's like presumably when you're on Pirates of the Caribbean in in California, you're traveling through time, right? So, sure, why not? Well, I, and, I, and here's the thing: is what happens in movies when you travel through time? It's always this tunnel, mm-hmm. right, of spinning light and all these fantastic ups and downs and roller coaster like things. So, hey, you know, that's that's what I see. So I'm I'm gonna go with that. I'm I'll put, I'll, my 20, put my twenty I'll, bucks on it. I'll buy that. Okay, fair enough. All right, we're good. Uh, so so then, where uh, did where did it bring us? How tell us where? So are we? after <laughs> after you get sucked into the world of the computer, which is not really, I guess, what you're supposed to be doing because it's about <laughs> transportation. Uh, then you get taken to a, a wonderful uh, large scale sort of model of the city of tomorrow called Centercore. 
Uh, and Center Core was... Why was it called Center Core? I, I don't know. Well, I'm going to make another assumption here. It was at the center of the building. It was at the, the dead center core of the building. I mean, do you have any other better name than to call it center core? Seems, again, seems utterly reasonable. I could be wrong, but I'm just... And it, I mean, assumingly, it was the core of the city, and, and the idea was supposed to uh, just show you a very vague concept of, of transportation and futurism. So the entire thing was in the dark. Uh, it was blacklit, um, but it was... Very, very abstract and uh, purposely so, uh, I think, because uh, it was so abstract, you couldn't really pick it apart and say, like, no, that that can't be true or can't not be true because it mostly consisted of uh, sort of like liquid neon moving through tubes, which could represent anything from (laughs) like subways to trains or cars or anything else. There were a couple of hanging... uh, sort of like helicoptery or hovercraft type things that you yep. can see some blinking lights on. I, I think that was basically like a, uh, just like a, a suspended turntable from the ceiling with like two arms that radiated out from it. And there was like one model on each arm and it yep. just kind of turned around kind of in right. a circle. I remember <laughs> almost like these little mini glow sticks shooting back and forth. You mentioned the neon tubes. It almost felt like they were on a wire and they just got pulled across like yeah. simulating these highways that were just crisscrossing mm-hmm. around. It was really and I, cool. And I remember there were even a couple of things that were just like pin spotlights that would either move up or down on the side <laughs> of a building or just kind of like back and forth on like a piece of black metal. <laughs> I mean, you can't get any more abstract than literally just like a dot of light. And here's the <laughs> thing, though. Is I got I was always excited to get in there because it felt like you didn't see it all every time you went through. It, it was oh. so abstract. There was just so much and you were in there for so long, but you still never felt like you saw it all. And, and in that spot, it's like, I have to say the music was particularly effective. Mm-hmm. It was just this. And it was, well, yeah, we'll and, now play for you the real music. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was yeah, much better than us just doing it by mouth. I have to agree. Now I think Correct me if I'm wrong, Hal, but I believe that the cars rotated too, so that you look into it, right? Because otherwise, yes. you everybody would be looking to their left. So the cars rotated so that you could look into the center. If if you can imagine, um, you went around about a hundred and sixty degrees, hundred and fifty something. You know, yeah, it was pretty close to a complete circle, actually. Yes, and and what this section really did is this: this took you from the second floor back down to the first floor, so you could right. get to the unload area. It had no other purpose. <laughs> yeah, really, it was like, oh, let's we got to get people Wait, out of here. Oh somewhere. man, we got them up here. How do we get them down? And and uh, in some ways. This is a throwback to the 64 World's Fair, probably in GM's Futurama because uh, Pavilion, because they did show like a lot of uh, large scale model cities. And that that was a very uh, I think that was a part of of the GM Pavilion that people really liked um, back in 64. So I think, uh, you know, anything they could do to get a little bit of love um, from that and bring it into Epcot made a lot of sense. Right. So uh, so after you come down from center core, there's one last effect that apparently people on the I see a lot of people writing a description of this on the internet but I think most people are just kind of guessing it seems like a lot of folks haven't seen this so um, (laughs) I remember at the time the publicity was that they pulled Claude Coates out of retirement in order to work on this um, because he had worked on the this particular effect in the Haunted Mansion so if you're familiar with the Haunted Mansion and you're going past 
um, the three mirrors at the end. Okay, this is, I guess, now for the Disneylanders because in Walt Disney World, this is totally different. But <laughs> in the in the old Haunted Mansion, you would look past some uh, some two-way mirrors and then the ghost would follow your Doom Buggy. Um, they did a similar effect with your Omni Mover in this ride. So you would come up next to a mirror and if you looked to your left at the mirror, they, there was a, um, on the other side of the wall behind this two-way mirror, there were these colored sort of like tops of the cabs of your car that would then take, uh, take you and your Omni mover and make it look like it was a futuristic car. So you'd look over to the left and then you would be inside this, this futuristic car. Um, and then uh, one of the parts that I distinctly remember that was kind of cool about it, um, if you know a little bit about the way the Haunted Mansion effect is done, there's basically an oval track that runs behind there and everything stays basically on one floor and it just kind of runs in a continual oval. Well, I remember if you watched the cars um, in front of you, you would actually see the front of the car lift up and kind of go up in the air <laughs> until uh, and you'd see the back end kind of lift off before it would fall out of the light. So that must have been done on some sort of like vertical belt that went hmm. around and around um, vertically rather than horizontally. What do you? Is, so what was the purpose to line it up or? Well, uh, so if you picture sort of like a conveyor belt. Mm -hmm. uh, so instead of it doing flat and going around uh, a hemisphere, it was right. just spun vertically. So they would oh. just kind of go upside down, right? And then come back on the other side and come down again and and go that way. So interesting. The, sh the shells must have been assumably very lightweight. Yep. And that was as good as a system to do it as anything else, and probably took up less space. Because huh. uh, yeah, because of the uh, the way that it's done in the haunted mansion, it it takes up an extraordinary amount of room. Right. Um. In order to, to have enough ghosts and things to like constantly track and line up with the car. Just ahead is General Motors' exciting Trans Center. Join us behind the scenes, where we are working to ensure that tomorrow's world will continue to be a world of motion. It's GM's exciting uh, showcase <laughs> of, of current and future technologies. <laughs> I, I really wonder if there's people that never rode the ride and all they did with the Trans Center, they like were they totally confused. Like they just walked in the wrong way, right? Oh, yeah, because you could do shop. that now. That's yeah, that's true. Yeah. You could go in there. And that's plausible. You could totally, yeah. totally do that. Tweet I'm not going on one of those that. fast rides, so I'm just going to stand downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to sit in the Corvette. Is that, is that your McFarkle voice? It could have <laughs> been a McFarkle. You never know. It could have been McFarkle. Well, I have to admit that I have a bit of McFarkle in me because when I was a kid uh, and I was too scared to go on Space Mountain, I would just take the bypass and go uh, to <laughs> RYCA1 or I'm sorry, go to the home of future living and look at that without riding Space Mountain. So, so we've got a real uh -huh. real life one right in front. Yeah, of that's a that's a totally plausible <laughs> scenario that you just outlined. Someone you're fishing that. <laughs> yeah. Someone so the, could be, the future be a big of, fan. Yeah. So the future of transportation is here, right? In that's, this that's right. exact location of it's right there right even as, though yeah as it was spelled out on the wall in a giant neon sign <laughs> if so, you could miss it yeah so that was the thing that kind of led you from the uh from the uh from the the uh exit uh ramp of the uh of the ride so you'd kind of walk down this long uh staircase not staircase kind of this long hallway 
and there'd be this big giant neon sign on your left hand side that that kind of worked its way over to a giant head and then there were projections inside of that head of uh of future transportation vehicles and i think those uh those uh ones that i mentioned that i saw on the ride um that's where where some of those images showed up again so um so that would get you down into the trans center now interesting thing about the trans center that i just um, found out over the last two days uh imagineering did not build this um they okay. actually they actually jobbed it out um, to another company um, called BRC Imagination Arts uh, because they were too busy doing a bunch of all the other stuff at Epcot to, to have time to work on this. Um, so uh, BRC is was headed by a guy named Bob Rogers who was a former Imagineer. Um, he was a um, a film producer um, for WDI. Um, I guess it was still wet then. Um, and before he worked on this, um, he did a little film called Impressions de France. So, um, so he uh, got well known. Yeah, so he got well known within the organization for doing that, and they came up beautiful. Um, and I suspect what happened was like a lot of things, like a bunch of the work was getting wrapped up, so they probably released him because he got hired on just to do that one job. Well, think and, about it. He must have done a good job. It's the film, same film is still running to this day. Yeah. It's, <laughs> so, yeah. <clears throat> and literally it, and it's, timeless and it's stunning that film yeah <clears throat> an amazing piece of work it is it is a that is a gorgeous film um i, I think that's one of the few things that everybody kind of can agree on i've never heard anybody say that they don't like it um so what happened was after that was over um marty scar realized that they were not going to be able to get uh get anybody from engineering to work on trans center so he actually told bob rogers go start up a company and I'll do the introductions and you go build this for us. And I'll just tell GM that uh, we're going to um, we're going to keep a close eye on you and uh, but you'll take care of everything. And that's what happened. He started his company, uh, BRC Imagination Arts, and he designed the Trans Center. Uh, well, I should say he and his group designed the Trans Center and all the entertainment within it. So um, there's a couple of things in here that uh, I think are probably some of the most beloved Disney-esque things. And it turned out he Disney didn't actually do it, so that's that was quite a, quite a surprise. So, uh, so after you get out of the hallway, um, you end up walking between the blades of a giant fan, and uh, that takes you into a section called Aerotest. And the concept here is to be able to see um, a wind tunnel and uh, the effects of aerodynamics on uh, miles per gallon and, and car design. As if so, slicing people in multiple pieces <laughs> yes <laughs> had, had something to do with transportation well fortunately the blades weren't moving so it's yeah. not like you had to jump in wouldn't between it, wouldn't them. It great yeah oh, oh go johnny oh johnny missed yeah. little johnny's <laughs> who's next, who's next? <laughs> grandma <laughs> <laughs> no, that would have been a good attraction yeah. um so you walk under this big thing and then at first you you couldn't actually really tell what it was until you got through it and then turned around and looked up and you saw the center of it. So it was kind of deceiving at first. It just kind of looked like a thing sitting in the middle of the way. Um, but then they had another room uh, off to the side with a, an, an, uh, this is the first time you glimpse the Aero 2000, like a version of, of the, uh, the, the uh, concept car of 1995 that, uh, that they had made. And they do a Pepper's ghost effect there as well. So you can kind of see like the wind, moving uh on top of it um when they get to that section uh there are some uh some control panels that look like something that would end up in star trek the next generation sort of like these backlit uh things that looked like keyboards and readouts 
And there was a little presentation in there that would show you like uh, the drag coefficient of a bicycle uh, and a truck and then the Aero 2000. And it would show as you improve the drag coefficient that the miles per gallon goes up. So it was they were actually trying to get people uh, used to the idea of, you know, like, oh, we're, we're going to start making these uh, much more aerodynamic vehicles, which I, I was, was going to say, I think it's ironic because yeah. at the time, like everything was very boxy. Well, remember the Ford Taurus came out and everyone went, oh, that's, that's oh round. Oh, my God. But, uh, you know, it's funny. If, if people don't know what the Aero 2000 is, if you've seen any pamphlet or any picture of World of Motion, um, you know, advertising. GM used it ad nauseum, right, on, on some of those little pamphlets. That they oh, yeah. Out. Mm-hmm. It was everywhere. So you, 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 couldn't, you couldn't miss it. It's we'll, very we'll similar have... to a Corvette concept they had back then, too. There was always the rumor of a mid-in. Engine Corvette, and it looks really similar to that. Really? Yeah, it's just it's got it's. I mean, it's yeah. If you put the two next to each other, they're very close. But it's a Corvette that never got made either. So hmm. interesting. Um, so that's uh, so that was the first thing that you would see, uh, and then the second thing that you would see after that is probably I think people's favorite show um, called The Bird and the Robot. Yep. Um, and I happen to have the cast member spiel that you would hear. As you walked up to that attraction, as it was getting ready to, so we'll step into the time machine for a second here, and I'll I'll do my best uh, my best CM impression. Ladies and gentlemen, General Motors welcomes you to the Trans Center. Our next show, the Water Engine Show, begins across the hall in a minute and a half. Once again, as a reminder, there is no smoking allowed here in the Trans Center. For those of you who have just joined us here in the Bird and Robot Show, the next one will begin in just sixty seconds. Thank you, and have a nice day at Epcot Center. That, Very nice. Wasn't that that's, nice that they would that's good. wish you to have a nice day? Wish you. Not go spend yeah. more money. Use your band somewhere else. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so friendly. So Burden Robot. Uh, th- this, is this I think, is the thing that most people uh, probably remember because it was very, very Disney-esque in its, mm-hmm. uh, in its form. So uh, basically the premise is uh, to try to – demonstrate uh, to people how uh, robots get used on assembly lines um, within uh, GM's factories. So uh, consisted of two characters, uh, Bird, which was a sort of a bluish toucan uh, in the Tiki Room style, except he had uh, sort of like a Groucho Marx, like humongous <laughs> eyebrows and a cigar. Because, you know, a lot of toucans. They're yeah. in the South or, you know, maybe in Cuba, you know. Yeah, fine tobacco. Very known. And he had he had kind of this very rough New Yorkish kind of like Groucho Marxy accent. Tiger, and uh, and then <laughs> Tiger was a industrial robot. Which I don't know if this was part of the joke. Uh, like the toucan so didn't really pay attention or care about him. But uh, written on the side of the robot was the word Puma. <laughs> <laughs> so. I don't know. If, I don't know if that was a mistake that they thought misremembered that the robot was called a tiger when it was really a puma, or if that's just indicative of the bird not really caring about him that much. Or, or is this a is this a battle between Tony the tiger and Sam the toucan? Is this like a battle of the cereal brands? Yeah, very, <laughs> very strange. So, uh, so the it starts with the toucan basically coming out and introducing himself and telling you that that he's got this robot that he saved from the GM factory floor and he's training him to do something. And they put on this uh, probably about a six or eight minute show um, 
And uh, there's all sorts of little gags, like he tries to have Tiger play like songs on a bell. And, and this was a uh, this was notable at the time because this was the first time an audio animatronic figure actually manipulated objects um, around it. Most of the time, uh, Disney went out of its way to make sure things didn't touch each other, um, so there would be no wear and tear. But in this case, it's like he would play bells. It's like he would try to pick up a donut. Uh, off of the table, which was a sort of this rock solid like sculpture of a donut. But eventually using the baton, he would pick it up and then put it back. Uh, and he would sort of like pick up a sign and applause sign and a boo sign throughout the show. Now, was it audio on a track or was it a real precision robot from GM? Presumably it was an actual factory robot. Okay. So then we we give the nod to it. I mean, the accuracy of those things as we know is unbelievable. Even yeah. back, even back at then, yeah, for the time, I mean, they're still really, really good. So, yeah, certainly, certainly good enough, and and uh, they, they would have been made probably with with much easier to re- to replace parts if there was something that wore right. out. They could probably get another put in there. It's interesting uh, that something like that, which really is the core of audio animatronics at the, at that large scale at that time, that something so big could move so fluid and so quickly. Yet, you know, a lot of the audio animatronics were still very jer- herky jerky because of the nature of we couldn't get those components small enough yet. You right know, in the early '80s, but you had the technology to be that precise, to be that fluid, but you just couldn't scale it into something the size of a human. Yeah, and the I think the thing that was really distinctive is uh, for something that was an industrial robot, they they actually managed to get a lot of personality out of it, mm-hmm. just in the way that it moved is so really well done. It look it, it would look around to open its claw or mouth or whatever you want a little bit and nod its head and turn. It, it was done really well. It was cool. Right and. Uh, there's a couple like really funny little gags. Uh, like I remember at one point uh, they're going over uh, how some robots at GM have like laser eyes in order to measure per- parts precisely to make sure they're they're done right. Mm-hmm. And he uh, he kind of reaches into a bag and picks up these sort of like red goggles <clears throat> and then turns around and looks at the bird. And then the bird says something like, those those eyes don't work. You can't see anything. And then you hear kind of like a shutter click. And then on the back screen, it's like you see a diagram of the bird. And it flashes this these uh, bright red letters with a warning <laughs> bell that says needs cleaning. <laughs> um, but he, they would kind of run you through all the different uses of industrial robots. So on the back screen, you'd see like uh, how they're, they're measuring. It's like they see a robot going to school and like there's a technician <laughs> – Kind of like putting points on it, and you make some sort of comment about the bird says something like, the teachers at my school didn't look that good. <laughs> so you got a nice little sexist thing in there. Uh, so how they're painting, how they pick up hot parts, and uh, it's it's just really was a nice little demonstration of, of how that, um, of yeah. how industrial robotics works. And that was really a lot of people's first introduction into that. Um, and then uh, there's a section at the end where he picks up sort of this metal baton and conducts the Detroit Phil Robotic Orchestra, and they take a montage of uh, of uh, film that was shot uh, at a GM assembly plant and and very beautifully lit, uh, and put it to like the Blue Danube. Um, the uh, the show was originally supposed to run from two to four years, and it actually ran for fourteen, um, which is really amazing. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And the the bird is actually still around. Uh, he's on display at uh, BRC Imagination Arts Office in Burbank, and he's still functional. Apparently, they've got like a little joystick on him where you can go up and and work him and make him go through his paces. And that's pretty uh, cool. It's really cool. And another thing that I found out today, 
is that, uh, and I, this is one of those things where I think I, I saw this in 1983 and it clicked with me and I forgot it until I found it again. But uh, this is a really interesting thing. So I guess uh, in the contract with GM was written in this clause that any film that they shot uh, that wasn't used in the pavilion could get reused as long as it wasn't competitive to what was going on in the pavilion. So what they ended up doing, Bob Rogers took basically all the outtakes and put together a eight minute film called a ballet robotique. And he used, uh, the music that, that was done by the quote unquote Detroit Phil robotic orchestra, which is actually (laughs) the, the London symphony orchestra and put together this eight minute, uh, short film, uh, of robots basically like synced to music. And it was actually nominated for an Academy award in 1983 in the uh, live action short film category. So a section of the bird and the robot almost won an Academy award. Crazy. For a (laughs) sideshow. Yeah. And a side of a side of a pavilion, right? So uh, it turns out a couple of years ago, they actually had uh, that transferred to Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I ordered one and I'm waiting for it to show up now. It's like, oh, I, cool. yeah, I have to see that. So it's a screening at, at Howe's house. <laughs> That's <know>. right. <laughs> uh, we should we should mention our side note, our footnote. Uh, the other piece of work that uh, BRC did for Disney uh, was the feature animation, the, the magic of Disney animation segment at the Hollywood studios when it opened. So that, that experience where you used to walk in, see mm-hmm. the Robin Williams and Walter Cronkite film, walk through and see those. It was the first time I had ever seen those, uh, smoke shade windows that yeah. can digitally disappear. And, and you would see the animation, the animators at work drawing Tarzan or whatever they were making at the time and then go in and uh, see the closing film. And there was one other piece. That whole thing was designed by BRC too. So that's the other piece of attraction work that they did for Disney. Yeah. And not only did they design all that, they actually did the, they did the animation. Disney didn't do the animation for that section. Oh, for that, uh, for for that film, like the film. Yeah. They would never would have known. Yeah, they did Back to Neverland, which is mind-blowing. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we'll, uh, if, when we get to doing a Disney MGM one, I'll have to dive into some more of that. Because I'm trying to find out if that was done by the Roger Rabbit crew after they came off of that. I have a sneaking uh, yeah. suspicion they hired the group in London to, uh, yeah. to develop that stuff. So, But I, I need to do some more research to find that out. Interesting. So... Um, so we move on. What uh, we got the water engine next, right? Yeah. So that's that, that's like this is I think the the second most memorable thing. Yeah. Um, the water engine show was a uh, you'd sort of like step into the theater across the hall, and there were nine large pistons on the back wall arranged in sort of like a half semicircle. Um, the show used three thirty five millimeter projectors, and then. Uh, Basically, it was about uh, different types of engines and which engine might be the engine of the future, which it's funny because a lot of these were we actually are now seeing right. uh, used in production cars <laughs> now. And uh, these are still being debated um, as uh, the characters would kind of be introduced one by one. And as the characters were introduced, uh, one of the pistons would drop and then sort of the screen would light up in that area. So um the characters were internal combustion engines, which were um, done 
by kind of like this gruff older cowboy, uh, a flywheel, which was a little girl with like a windup car, a, a turbine flywheel hybrid, which was a football coach. Um, and I guess that would be powered by coal. Um, a, a coal fired turbine, which was uh, embodied by sort of like crusty old miner. Um, a turbine uh, electric hybrid engine, which was Leonardo da Vinci. Perfect. Uh, who just spoke, <laughs> right. Who just spoke Italian during the entire thing. He didn't speak <laughs> English. Yeah. <laughs> so he's ranting and raving and everyone's just kind of looking at him. Um, an electric engine, which is done by kind of like this uh, woman in a city. Um, a hydrogen engine, which is done by this kind of weird little P- Peter Lorre style uh, uh, mad scientist. He's like, it works, I tell you, it works. <laughs> uh, horse transportation, which is uh, represented by this sort of hayseed farmer. And then uh, magnetic levitation, uh, which is uh, embodied by this kind of a superhero type. So they have this really fun little open debate uh, about uh, which kind is the best thing. And I think in the end, it kind of ends with uh, the gasoline engine saying like, well, all this stuff might be great someday, but for now, it's still the reliable gasoline engine. So go go buy a car. Well, it's cool to see that there was a lot of forethought, you know, at that time for you know, electric hybrid, all those terms, like you said, how that we're, we're, we're coming to today. So, you know, somebody back in the mid early 80s went through that was inspired and is probably working on something now for us, you know, which is kind of cool when you think about it yeah it's actually amazing you know that you know we we tend to think of the car companies as being very stodgy and and not moving but i mean gm was legitimately thinking about this stuff uh back at this point i mean and they were the first company that came without with a uh with a electric car right well yeah before they Mm -hmm. killed it yeah (laughs) the ev1 ev1 yeah before the ev1 went kaput lease only from a saturn dealership yeah lease only and then you know what we're gonna repo them all and crush them because well that's another show all right (laughs) so we move across the hall a little bit to concept 2000 right which had the arrow 2000 that we we talked about earlier right yeah so i'll let brian remember this is the one thing that brian remembers he's got this yeah set up for this yeah a a vivid memory of it anyway um you know, I, uh, it's just one of those attractions that I don't have a lot of scenes that stuck with me. I have a few from inside the ride, uh, but I do have vivid memories of sitting there staring at the Arrow 2000. I did it rotate. I, th- I, th- I th- yeah, mm-hmm. like like a pie, like a like like a case of pies in a diner. <laughs> Uh, that's what I remember seeing this. A record you know, player. I'll have the, I'll have, I'll have the lemon meringue. Or the lemon meringue's looking really nice. This <laughs> rotating car straight out of Back to the Future 2, you know. And then uh, yeah, you went was... on to buy the Euro 2000, and that's your daily driver now. Yeah. So, yes, it was a, it was a uh, silver, sort of like aluminum skinned on the outside, it looked like. Um, it was a concept car uh, for for I think it's I have something that says like it's what the scientists from around the world you know thought the best in class car of 1995 could possibly be. So uh, it was a mid engine, as you mentioned, uh, as JT said. Um, it was a four passenger subcompact subcompact car uh, featuring technological advances that may appear. In production cars in the oh. future. So front wheel drive, a turbocharged 68 horsepower engine. Jesus. Imagine Plenty zero of... to 60 on that puppy. Woo. Yeah. 68 minutes. <laughs> but 
On the plus side, it was supposed to get 71 miles to the gallon uh, because uh, m- uh, mostly because of their aerodynamics. Right. And then, then the, the next feature stock of celery in it, you'd be down to seven. <laughs> What's the next feature you, you have on your list? Um, well, it also had heads up display. Uh huh. Um, let's see. Uh, voice, actuated voice actuated sliding, sliding doors. doors. So, That's right. so if we take 1980s technology to actually make that work, that would weigh as much as a modern car because then there goes your gas mileage. Exactly. The amount, the amount of wiring for that. To... That's right. Hey door. Hey, hey door. Yeah. Open. Open door. Actually, they actually employed a midget in there to do it. That's what happened. Um. Uh, it also had unframed glass windows, and the underside was supposed to be enclosed to like cut down the drag coefficient. Actually, yeah. isn't there some car that does that now, like a Mercedes or something? Uh, not. I mean, a lot of them do it. What do we have? It's just enclosed. A lot of cars, you'd be surprised. You can go buy your most basic uh, GM, whatever Ford car, and they have a big pan underneath to smooth out the airflow. So it's a. It's very common. Like my wife's uh, Chevy Sonic does that. So. Hmm. So oh. that that made it, I guess you could say, not the voice actuated doors, but the right. And and some of this technology did trickle down. For example, mm-hmm. uh, the heads up display debuted in the Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme in nineteen eighty. Yes, it's very reliable too. Great system. <laughs> now, now, how this area? They originally they eventually got rid of the Arrow two thousand in the late eighties, early nineties. Right? I have footage here from from ninety one. Where there is similar stuff, it's I don't know if it is the Arrow 2000 that we're talking about here, but they show all the different cutaways and this this Tron-looking blue vehicle. Was that later on? It was like a uh, a two-seater, like a front and rear type configuration, you know? Well, part of the part of this whole section then is like you would actually do a walkthrough of what they called like the Design 2000 or the Concept 2000 section, where you would sort of see how the car, uh, that car got developed from early uh, early drawings uh, to clay models. They actually showed you how they like would build models out of clay. Right, right. They'd have a, some of these desks sitting there, right? Yeah. Yep. And then uh, a CAD, an early CAD system to see like, oh, in the future, we'll design cars with CAD, which they actually did. Uh, and then you'd work through like different fabrics and finishes and you'd see like a bunch of different color choices. And it, it really sort of gave you this idea of like from concept to production, uh, what that process was like uh, for developing a car, um, which was, you know, it was probably not the most interesting part of it. But, you know, to someone who was a car fan, it, w- it probably was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I see JT Resistance. So, yeah. Yeah. What what's interesting though? I mean, I know where we talk about the old stuff. This to me reminds me more of Test Track now, like right now today, than it did the the yeah. crash test version. You know, you design your car, you see what it does. It's kind of back. I don't say we took a step back, but yeah, it's very similar to the current one. Well, I think you know, it's a there's a I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of interesting stories around cars. You know, besides the getting from here to there, but like yes, how is it manufactured? How is it tested? And and I know. Um, when they uh, started thinking about uh, what to do with these rides, it's like one of the first things that they always do is they just go and visit like a tons of places and try to, uh, you know, get a feel on like, well, what's really interesting and different about this. I, mm-hmm. I think I remember an anecdote where uh, they were saying like Marty Sklar knew more about uh, Ford motors than anybody else uh, <laughs> when they were working on the magic skyway pavilion because he was the one person that actually went to every single solitary department of the company and talked to people. Um, 
so yeah, there's I, I think you know there's a, a a lot of inspiration that you can get uh, from, and I know that these guys worked hand in hand with the uh, with uh, with GM, uh, and in fact the the relationship even continued uh, after this pavilion and uh, BRC Imagination Arts continued to work with GM for uh, for other trade shows and other things and and did stuff with them. Yeah. So uh, so uh, the last sort of little well second to last stop then is the Dreamers Workshop. And this was just kind of like a hodgepodge of all kinds of different things. So you'd see uh, concepts for vehicles like the Lean Machine, which was a uh, and this anyone who grew up in in my age bracket saw the Lean Machine and thought it was the coolest thing ever. So, <laughs> but basically, it's the concept is take a very low to the ground sort of uh, motorcycle, except with a wheel in the front and then two wheels in the back, and enclose it in kind of a bullet shaped case. And then uh, the reason it was called the lean machine is because as you turned uh, into a curve, the entire body of the car would kind of tilt uh, to keep your center of gravity low and stable. And uh, this also had a, a video uh, film that ran with it. Uh, I, I kind of remember it had all kinds of like sound effects and uh, some sort of like weird little animation of, <laughs> of like the drag coefficiency and the miles per gallon. It would like flash how wonderful the miles per gallon were. <clears throat> um, now in this area, they had all sorts of little things. I know you've got the aqua hotel hovercraft hotel had like the, 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 the uh, elevator deck would bring up a, an airplane or a helicopter up there. They're pretty really, really neat detailed models. So we have to understand that, while the focus was on cars, there still was some ocean going, some other transportation methods highlighted, while not in great detail. They did not yeah. leave leave them out. You know, the maglev was the was the other. I was always bummed that the giant maglev train wasn't going away. It was just static. But what kills me is, and I ha I have footage of this, is that I don't know if they were trying to demonstrate maglev train at the time, but they had this little miniature monorail type train on a slanted track, and some sort of actuator would like knock it up an incline and then gravity would bring it back. <laughs> so they, they didn't have any like real true maglev going on. It's only a model. It's only, yeah, yeah. It's, look, this isn't real. We're just going to use gravity. But uh, yeah, it was kind of interesting. The thing, the thing just goes back and forth. So you'll um, have to tell me if you have footage of this, because this is one of those I, things that I remembered is like, there were these little discs that would levitate and someone yes. stuck like a stormtrooper action figure. <laughs> On top of one of them, it, Star it, Wars it, weekends. There's a you can almost see a little bit of of the of it going on. Um, there's a link further up in our chat here, uh, and and you can click on JT's. His eyes are fixated on the screen watching this video right now. But there is the magliner. There's the little guy thing going back and forth, and then there is the the. Uh, you can see a good shot of the uh, of the magnet going up and down. Magnetic levitation coil test number one forty six. Do not touch. <laughs> There were a couple God. little extra props, you know, in there. So, but yeah, oh. a lot of interesting stuff. Yeah, and uh, oh, and it had the Royce cabin of the future in there. Uh, oh, it was an, an RV with an inflatable habitat in the back. Uh, nice. Take a few. The <laughs> nice. the back the Vanguard Habit Dome Vanguard. sponsored <laughs> by Vanguard. <laughs> so the last part was uh the the, the original or current cars right you could get in and take a look at them and i remember a rotate there wasn't there some sort of rotating stage too with big like i don't want to say they were like vertical blinds or something like that 
are they still there? They're still there today. They I had think. like a similar thing, at least yeah. on the test track, like where one car would be there, it closed, right, right, and it then closed. It, it'd open another car would be did there. They, did they, was it like that back then? How? I can't remember. Uh, no, I just remember it was kind of like a huge just circular open. room with a bunch of cars parked okay. in it. All right. So everything from uh, Pontiac Fiero to, you know, Cor- whatever the Corvette model was. You guys saw some other ones. In some okay, of no, I, I, I got one here for you. So this this is from 91. I, I just mentioned that the 91 film. Well, uh, JT, make a note. Well, let's post this link to this podcast is going to be filled with links to videos. But um, there was a, a geo tracker tricked out as a boombox car. This thing, ridiculous is not the right word. There's got to be a better word. But I have the stats here. I, I video videoed the, the stat sheet. It says it's a show vehicle version of the geo tracker with modified exterior and sound equipment. The boombox tracker is not intended for production. Just in case you were wondering. It has, because no one would buy it. No one would buy it. It's, it's an electric purple with chrome, uh, it's, yeah, 12 three-way speakers, two large subwoofers, four electro-voice EV tweeters, two equalizers, one tuner amplifier. Okay, now here we go. Here's the technology. Fiber optic lights and sequential LED. Now, don't forget, it's L period, E period, period <laughs> lights around the back perimeter. 15-inch chrome wheels. 15-inch for those cruising. That's right? hot. Uh, JT, you may know what this is. What is it? PPG Paint with decals. I don't know. What PPG is just a company. They make yeah. uh, oh, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh plate glass. Paint. Yeah. yeah. Oh, look at that. Okay. Three large chrome stacks for sound resonation, custom windshield spoiler. All interior and exterior dimensions are essentially... I love that. Are essentially the same as the, as the stock. So, so, I mean, why would you put that if you had no intentions of producing it? Who cares? Because <laughs> there's a it, stuffed Mickey hanging out of the top. It did attract a lot of attention. It did with the flashing. Yeah. It, so we'll have to. You'll have to watch it. I forget when market is in the video. But what what this whole department of the ride reminds me of is just a, like an old auto show. They don't do this so much at auto shows anymore, where it's like loaded with cars that you're never ever going to mm-hmm. own. But that's kind of what even this tracker is. It's just junk that I I mean it's just somebody in all woke up with an idea and yeah, oh, yeah it's just yeah. just waste it's just even like these weird concept cars like somebody was paid thousands millions to design this whole thing and it's nothing absolutely pointless yeah I, I want to say there was like at one point they blew out the wall um, when you would come down that ramp before the turbine engine and they would put a concept car over there and I mm-hmm. seem to remember something called like a sidewinder or some sort of like dune buggy Oh. Like green concept car really? hanging off on the side. I've over got there. some yellow concept. I think it looked like said Sidewinder on it, but it may be different. We'll maybe that's that it. Video. Maybe that's yeah. it. It's yeah. Check that video. So again, it's been like thirty years. So exactly. You know, I'm reach. I'm reaching here. Yeah. Well, with that, guys, that is the the end of the world of motion. Um, it's fun to be free, right? And uh, we're ready Jeez. to move on. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I have. I have one. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I have one off. additional memory that one I have last to memory. get out Then it'll be fun to view. Just because it's so so distinct. Okay. So I remember. So when Epcot opened, I was probably like 10 or 11 years old, uh, and I'm I'm trying to nail down exactly what the date is, but I'm thinking this had this thing happened to me probably sometime between like 83 and 85. But I still have this very distinct memory of being in the. Uh, being in the trans center and they had a demonstration of uh touch screen uh control panels so you'd be able to control your radio and your uh like climate control system 
uh, with this. It was literally like a green screen CRT or like a yellow <laughs> CRT. <laughs> but just that idea of like a, of futurism, of be able to do touchscreen stuff was uh, was so new then. And I remember I tuned it to an Orlando radio station and back to back it played uh, Stepping Out by Joe Jackson <laughs> and then uh, IGY What a Wonderful World by Donald Fagan. And uh, at that moment, I felt like I was literally like living the most futuristic life possible. <laughs> <laughs> Does anybody else remember that? Is there pictures of that LCD screen, that touch screen, that CRT? I'm going to have to go. I have not found that again. I think that ended up in a Corvette at some point because they, uh, they also had like the control panel, uh, like an LED control panel uh, that I think ended up in the Corvettes. Where Corvettes they had digital dashes, but yeah. the, the controls, I, th- I don't know if they had the LCD readout or not. But... Huh. All right. I, I promise I will go try to hunt that down. So, well, now it's fun to be free, right? Boom. Now we're, we're free. Well, we're free. We're free. We're free. So, it's really well, fun. I hope everybody enjoyed uh, our, our trip back into the world of motion. How awesome job and great research on that stuff as always. So, appreciate that. So, if you have any additional questions, uh, you can write into us at podcast at retrodisneyworld.com. And with that, JT, you, you've been running out to the mailbox. You're excited. You've, we've got some stuff coming in. What, what, we, what we got this month? The mailbag was overflowing. Overflowing. We had, a, we had a, a lot, and I've got two to talk about Ooh. today. This is a, uh, a normal one and a bonus. A bonus. Oh. So the bonus is a ding, special ding, one. Ding, 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 ding. I'll do the normal first. Um, the first one is from a guy named Kurt Shimala. Shamala. Shimala. Something. At, yeah. Um, Kurt obviously loves the podcast, he says. Uh, he talked about the memories we did at World of Motion. Um, he actually, and I kind of randomly see him on the Instagram machine. Uh, he is Disney Viewmaster on Instagram, so uh, um, he's got a pretty sweet little page there. And I, you know, we like things here and there from each other. Um, his question, though, and we've talked about this before, just not on air, but uh, he wants to know locate, if possible, the actual room where John Lennon signed the Beatles' breakup papers at the Polynesian. And, Brian, this is your area. Go. The the, the area <laughs> being referred to as is the Beatles area. That's, the Beatles area. Yeah, that's, you know, <clears throat> no, you've stayed in the room, haven't you? That's I, haven't the... <laughs> stayed, I haven't stayed in the room. But uh, John John visited in, uh, if, I, if I have the time right, it was 1974, Christmas week, 1974, uh, and he was Signed there with his on. son, with his son Julian, uh, who he had over the Christmas holidays, uh, who lived in England but came over for the holidays, uh, and his girlfriend May Pang. He was on a break from Yoko Ono at the time, uh, and so they're down down there. The other three Beatles had been in New York. Uh, to sign the papers sometime before Christmas. And John said, well, look, here's where I'm going to be. Just send them to me. So they uh, f- uh, FedEx them down to him. And uh, he sat in his room at the Polynesian Resort uh, and signed the papers. May Pang took a photo of him while he was signing them in his room. Uh, May wrote about this in her book, which was published in 2009, I think. Uh, and included the photo, and there are a couple of photos that float around from that trip of John in the parks, 
uh, may also appear in another podcast and talked about this. I have a friend, a mutual friend who's very close to May. I've met May before, but uh, it was before this uh, story had come up and, and, and the questions had come up. But I had asked a mutual friend who goes to uh, several parties at May's house every year if she could ask her uh, if there's any chance they actually remember if she has any keepsakes or anything as to which room they stayed in. Uh, she does not. Oh, uh, so they don't answered. remember. That's it. Yeah, they, they yeah. do not. But Dang it. But uh, she did say on the podcast appearance that they had a VIP guide while they were in the parks. Uh, and even back then, and to how I think you know the building, the, the one building at the Polynesian is, the, um, is, is just you know private VIP suites. Uh, it's only got a dozen rooms or whatever in it. Uh, but it's got the two floor suite and every, you know, the presidential apartments and everything else that are there. Uh, they uh, more than likely stayed in that building. Yep. Um, What's the building called now? Well, maybe we could make this an extra prize. Should we make this an extra prize? What's that? Well, we know what it's called now, right? Yes. It's called Tonga, right? Yeah. All right. So the first listener to write in and tell us what that building was called back in 1974. We're going to, we're going to find an extra prize. How okay. I know you know what it is. Podcast at RestroDisneyWorld.com. Yeah. Ready, and set, now, go. Pause your podcast and do it now. Exactly. <laughs> you got to get going on it. If you know the answer to it. Also, too, uh, maybe we'll, we'll even do another bonus here. What is unique about that building? Other than the fact that it has there John, no John Lennon stayed there, and no <laughs> right? There are no windows and no doors. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's the second. So the first person to write in with the the name of the building back in 1974, and the first person to write in with the correct answer, what is unique about that specific building at the Polynesian Resort? We'll uh, we'll get you out some special prizes. Wow! I didn't think we. What do you know? I thought this would come up at the Polynesian episode to be determined date to be determined ten. Well, maybe so by cool. then we'll have the the room number. We'll, have, we'll know exactly. We'll we'll broadcast from there. I want I want a disgruntled yeah. '70s Polynesian worker who's just got a grudge to take out, <laughs> just to let us know. They know, yeah. you know, somebody knows who like took him towels or something. That's right. Somebody's got to know about that. If you ever become independently wealthy, if you just stay in all eight or ten, you can say yeah, we did it yeah. in, in that building. Then yeah. you know. You were in one of the rooms. Well, well I was so. going to say, if, if we can find enough photos and then look at the positions of the yes. trees and things outside, then maybe yeah. we can determine we that can way. Determine this is the so, new Holy Grail. This is it. This is it. So we're still looking for surfers, but we're looking for John Lennon's room, too. So Maybe John Lennon surfed it right into Roy's cabin. He could have. He could have. <laughs> so, JT, what else did we get this month? We got oh, my bonus. Uh, bonus. This yeah. is from Harry Cook. Harry Cook wrote uh, just a simple sentence. He says, hi, do you have any retro Tigger autographs? Let him know. And um, I'm sure he's meaning Tigger from the parks, right? We would guess that. Um, and, you know, kids walk up and get autographs. And um, I went to my archives, and I went to my, my Xerox boxes of junk, and I found a actual Tigger autograph. So, Harry... Um, you name your price, it's yours. <laughs> I got it. If go. you'd we... like to fund me staying in John Lennon's room, if it means that much to you, that's right. It, it is yours. I'll send you the whole book from the '80s. Of I don't know if that's retro enough for you, but <laughs> when did they start signing autographs? Let's be factual here. Does anybody know? That's a good question. 
I mean, I, he, the film of me in the '80s that nobody's signing anything, you know. And I, then I, my first time I asked for an autograph at Disney, I walk up to Pooh Bear. This has scarred me. Pooh Bear doesn't have hands. <laughs> he just stared at me like I was an idiot child, and I'm like. They, they don't do autographs. These autograph books are a sham. So therefore, my first autograph experience was very traumatizing. Yeah. So I don't know what the year was they officially started signing autographs, but Pooh Bear not in the 80s. There we go. So that that's the viewer mail section. Kurt or uh, Harry, you got your bonus. That's right. Uh, I do have the autograph. I'm holding it ransom for you right now. If you have more questions, would like more autographs, podcast at retrodisneyworld.com. Excellent. Well, it is that time now to move on to Audio Rewind. And uh, let's first uh, take a listen to last month's uh, Audio Rewind teaser puzzler and see what we hear. All right, so the correct answer for that was actually... From Space Mountain. How, how did is this one the one that you recorded? Yes, it is. It is okay. So it's one of Howe's private Howe's private stock, and uh, so the winner this month and the winner we're going to get to the prize here in a second is Andrew. And I correct my uh, sorry if I'm pronouncing this wrong. Toffoli, Toffoli. Um, congratulations! You have won the uh, thirty centimeter three D printed in silver. Well, there it is. There it is. I'm, I'm holding it up for our video feed. I've here, seen it, everybody. but I haven't seen it. Um, this no. is a Spaceship Earth thirty centimeter container. It has a screw top on it. Right? You can store all sorts of things. This was printed on uh, my very own. 3D printer with a silver filament, so it looks just like Spaceship Earth. Sweet. Yeah, so that is this month's prize. We're going to get that out to you as soon as we get your address and get that all set up. Um, so this month, uh, Brian, you've you've got the prize. Uh, some back from the 90s, huh? Yeah. Uh, for those of you who follow me on Twitter at Brian P. Miles, uh, I am given to flights of uh, posting photographs and artwork from calendars. Uh, that the Disney parks they started, but my best my best uh, historical knowledge is 1981 was the first year that they actually put out a Walt Disney World calendar, uh, and you know with 12 months of the year, and each month is a different photograph uh, from inside the resorts. Uh, you know whether it's in a theme park or whether it's one of the resort properties or river country water parks that kind of thing so uh, i have a spare two duo uh 1993 uh wdw calendar which has uh, some very good shots uh and so that is our prize this month is a 1993 walt disney world calendar and if you're like me uh, in my office presently, uh, I have two 1987 calendars because mm-hmm. 1987 uh, has the same set of dates that match up with 2015. Well, so, so it just so, blew my mind. Yeah, if, if, and if you're wondering, we did this research beforehand. If you're wondering, if you go to whencanireusethiscalendar.com, no way. you will find out that the 1993 calendar can be used in when, Brian? What are we looking at here? Well, the next available year is 2021, but right. then uh, 27, 38. <laughs> 49, 55, 66, 77, and 83. You now, know, th- this is we the- will be dead Holy for about geez. half of those years. Yeah. But- in pass it on but you know, you, you know what Brian we got to say this is a this is a prize and a gift that keeps on giving 
It's yeah. like the fruit of the month. The fruit club. of the month club. Every eleven years, you know, approximately, like give or George take, Costanza or, visiting or nine, his parents yeah. every exactly. eleven years. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, so let's take a listen to this month's puzzler, and and if you are um, one of the correct entries, we'll pull all the people who submit the correct answer. We'll put in a random drawing and pull out uh, one of them who will win the uh, nineteen ninety three annual calendar. So let's take a take a listen and uh, go from there. Beyond the Contemporary Resort, across Bay Lake, is the Fort Wilderness Campground Resort. There you'll find River Country, a Disney recreation of an old-fashioned swimming hole, with rope swings, rapids, a giant twisting water slide, and the world's largest outdoor heated pool. All right, so if you know the answer, email us at podcast at retrodisneyworld.com. That's uh, we'll a, a tough one this month, Todd. It is a tough one. I... So now, don't forget too. Even if uh, you are not, you don't win the prize this month. Uh, you will be entered for the big prize at the end of the year, which will be pulled in December 2015, and Gosh. that that will be the a reproduction Paul Hartley map from www.map.com. Now, for this month, please do get your entries in by May 10th. All right. With that said, let's move on to film restoration. Uh, this section of the podcast is brought to you by Pixel. For a thoughtful once-in-a-lifetime gift, contact Pixel to create pristine digital transfers from your old home movies, photos, videotapes, or slides. Now available in the cloud with the Reflectera app. To get started today, visit Pixel.com or call 1-800-557-3508. You can also get some more information at retrodisneyworld.com forward slash imageworks. And we give you an additional 10% off coupon there and offer free restoration of your Disney home videos. Uh, and films, I should say. So this month uh, is another eBay uh, pickup, and we're going to do the film restoration portion a little bit different here. We're going to get to that second. But this is another uh, film we picked up on eBay. Um, I titled it when I released it, Magic Kingdom Architecture and Landscape 72 Style. Uh, the person behind the camera did a really interesting job with the film because, once again, there's not a lot of people in it. Um, you know, it's really more of the what's going on the architecture there's some footage inside buildings which you don't often see a lot of cameras had light you know i needed need a lot of natural light to function properly uh back then and um you know really really interesting piece because there was a lot of different aspects of the park that were filmed that you normally wouldn't see and we're going to talk about those things and also some very rare things that don't exist anymore or have changed over time as in here too now a lot of time uh, when we did these film restorations the past a lot of, uh you know we would kind of let you guys play along at home and we were jumping all around so what we thought we'd do this month is do a little different we've all watched the film ahead of time and kind of have some um uh, additional comments and, and we're going to kind of step through those um without jumping all over the place so we'll see how this works and and go from there so um i'll i'll kick it off there was a couple points in the film where where i noticed is that the water all around the entire thing is just dyed really, really blue. Um, rivers of America, swan boats, moat in front of the castle, everything like really, really nasty blue. And if you the 132 mark, if you go there, you could see the 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 uh, the, the, the the steamboat just you know kicking up the kicking up the blue dye. So uh, do we? Do anybody know when they stopped that? No. Hmm. It's really kind of artificial looking. I know what happens from time to time. It's like when they rehab the Jungle Cruise, they'll do that. Uh, yeah, but it's more for... of a dark greenish blue now, right? 
when they first dump it in, it it's very blue, and then within a short period of time, it like settles back down again. Oh, so, really? Yeah, murky. Huh, interesting. So Brian, you had a couple early on in the in the film too, right? Yeah, about a minute and a, half, a minute and fifteen seconds in, there's uh, the flaming torches uh, down at the ground level, uh, right outside the Swiss Family Robinson treehouse, and it's notable because it's in an area that ultimately leads to the Jungle Cruise, mm-hmm. and uh, that was an area that the that the um, uh, Swan boats used to sail by. And has since uh, been covered. They then became remote control boats, the Buana Bob's boats, and then they ripped that out. So now it's a stroller parking area. Yeah. So obviously those torches aren't there anymore. But uh, if you look at the the shot of it there, the torches were lit right by where the spinning wheel is that provides the water buckets up to the to the uh, treehouse, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting. Yeah. I think then, I th- I think some of those torches still are there, right? It's just the trees have grown up so <laughs> high around them. Uh, they're not still lit, are they? I, well, I, <laughs> I thought there's a few that are still lit. Really? See, when I when I used to go, we always used to joke about taking hot dogs in the park with us <laughs> and roasting them on top of them. That I gotta say. So it's I mean, if, if, if they're there, you can't, I can't see them. I mean, All right. Through this through this sea of, uh, uh, but that's true with a lot of the stuff that you see in these yeah. early videos. That and and the next thing that I noted was, uh, you know, I've seen uh, there there's postcards and photos and slides from the time. The the vistas, the shots towards the haunted mansion, so barren back then, and the mansion up on a hill, mm-hmm. uh, versus today with the canopies and the expansion of Liberty Square and the fruit. Uh, and vegetables market there and uh, uh, all the stuff that's built up around it that that kind of obscures it back then it was just a wide open shot and it was the haunted mansion up on a hill and blue with water a, with it with a with a fence with a fence and uh and, and a little uh brick brick wall there yeah well and at this point tom Sawyer's island doesn't even exist so right right yeah right. that's it so, 125 you can see it's yeah, a that's, great that's shot cool. That's at the 125 mark. And then when you get tired of looking at that, it cuts over to a Minuteman, a walk-around character, <laughs> sitting on one of the benches. I think he's smoking a cigarette. Yeah, I know. No, he's, he's not. You know, no, I think he's right, got a cigarette in his hand. Right before he comes on at 138, though, there is a very, very interesting <laughs> couple interesting yeah. frames. The, the Liberty Tree is there. <laughs> now, if anybody knows the... the, the the history and then the legend and the truth of the, the Liberty tree it was, a, it was an Oak tree, some sort of Oak tree found on Disney property. They picked it up and moved it. Now what's interesting is that if you know where to look, you could probably still see the scars today of this, but there are, you can see wires holding the tree up oh, yeah. and you can see hole, the holes that they drilled directly through the trunk in order to lift the tree and put it down on, in, in, in Liberty square. Wow. They do. So they're big holes. In yeah. It. They're, they're, they're much bigger than I thought. So this was not a root ball type extraction. So it was, you know, <laughs> there was no spade that came and lifted. Let's see if this here. works. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, obviously they had somebody who knew a bit about trees to say where to put those, put those holes. What's with um, the creepy banjo guy at one thirty nine? <laughs> Okay, yeah, he's like practicing or getting ready to come out. Yeah, he's just, and then it cuts away real fast. Like, oh my god, he spotted me. <laughs> <laughs> it's very creepy. Like he looks like he. This was the first murder in Disney. Yeah. <laughs> he's getting ready to get that lounging Minuteman. Uh, <laughs> There's a lot of odd smoking the cigarette. Yeah, and then then it jumps to a. Um, I, I, isn't there an in, internal shot 
uh, did we get to the uh, antique shop before the Hall I think of at, at 144 they must be in the silver ship sm- yeah. uh, shop and then at 140 no 153 or 154 they go into the okay it's a little bit oh here 156 156 they go into old world antiques for about seven frames yeah for about seven frames and then uh right before they go in there there is a like a two second shot of the queue for the hall of presidents and i'm telling you that wait is an hour if it's a minute you you see this long long line of people in the queue outside the hall of presidents that thing is huge i mean was was anybody new as president then or did it just open well the park just opened uh nixon was it was they were in the middle of the 72 election Uh, Uh so nixon had been president for four years but uh they didn't used to they used to add the figure but the but the current president didn't start speaking until Clinton in '93. Right. Okay. So, Why so, does the the facade look like plywood on that Hall of Presidents? It looks. I just... was just about to point that out too. Yeah, there's <laughs> yeah. a good reason for that. There is really. Yeah, there's a, somebody commented on the page, is that con, there was the construction of the Hall of Presidents front entrance porch. Huh. Huh. Which is interesting. So that's why it looks like. And is plywood. So yeah, so there wouldn't have been the covered entrance back then. It would have right. just been flush with the building, and then the hundred degree heat would come, you know, shining down on the cast member there, waiting to let people in. Right. So, they... so you can see how that minute the, man. So the, the 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 just the part of the of that of that canopy or, or was you know was completed, and they obviously it, have to. It's one of about a dozen examples of in the first few years of them realizing, hey, we built a theme park on the surface of the sun, and <laughs> and, Oops. and and we need to add shade and covers, and you know they did it there, they did it on Dumbo, and Hal can probably think of three or four other things where they either added trees or coverings or canopies or oh yeah, I mean yep. the canopy in front of the haunted mansion, yep, the right. uh, the uh, the canopy over the Mad Tea Party, um. Yeah. Gosh, yeah, there were so many things that got tacked on later on, and they were like, "Oh, <laughs> well, like, what do you know? Oh, it's hot in Florida." Hey, oh, people crap, got third de- people got third degree burns on Dumbo. We might want to want to fix. We might want to, f- yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah. So that's uh, the person's name on the website was Johnny. So thank you to Johnny. Thank you, Johnny. Yeah, for that, Johnny. Point that out. For that bit of interesting. Exactly. Uh, if you don't have anything between here and three forty nine, my next one is two fifty two. All right, well, you shoot there. All right, I got an interesting one at 252. I just got a, <laughs> I got a kick out of this. And, and the reason being is that, um, <laughs> you know, as we all know, this, the Skyway closed. And for a, a long period of time, they positioned somebody out there when the Skyway closed. And, oh, it's, it's closed, even though we knew it was closed for good. And uh, the Skyway was closed that day. And there's a, <laughs> there's a cast member <laughs> standing out there, yeah. basically turning away gas. And if you pause right before the 251 mark, it's really, really hard to see. Um, it 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 almost looks like there there is a sign that says sorry, um, this attraction is, is 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 closed or something. It almost sounds like this. Sorry, folks, we're closed for two weeks to clean and repair America's favorite family fun park. Sorry. <laughs> I just had to add that in. <laughs> Wagon so. Queen family truckster. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, when a little bit past that at the three thirteen mark, there's actually a shot from that uh, chalet mm-hmm. uh, going down uh, the path. So you see a little bit about what the uh, the path looked like there. 
Um, this and is then a there's fast there's film. Yeah, Man. there's construction over here. More construction in the Liberty Square area. Yeah, there is at three sixteen and. Yeah. Now, my uh, understanding that that again, we're going to give credit to Johnny here, as he wrote that 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 was the construction of the Liberty Square patio area, right. uh, with a great view of the storage shack that became the Fife and Drum snack bar. There you go. Yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of shots around there of Sleepy Hollow snacks and yep the other the other the other alone Minutemen at three twenty two. Yeah. There's a couple of times you see wandering. He's just there. like standing out there, <laughs> yeah. like. Are the British coming? <laughs> so, starting, coming. ready to go. They're not yeah, even it's... breathing heavy. So this this one is for how if you get to the three forty six. Hold mark. on, just one second though. I got it. Okay, go ahead. At three twenty five, the fife and drum is out. Yeah, you know, we how many times have we seen the fife and drum? Right, they're always out. At three twenty five, they're out. The Florida sun, Florida rain comes in, and then look at three twenty seven. They're all playing underneath. <laughs> get to the awning. Get retreat. to the awning. Get underneath. Retreat. Retreat. So. So if you get to uh, 347, there's uh, a few seconds a shot of, I, I think it's the Liberty Tree here because I see the holes still in it. Um, there are all these lanterns hanging from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, are they still there, Hal? They yeah. Sh- they should they be, yeah. They should be, yeah. Don't they, they represent the th- original 13 colonies, I believe? There should like be that, 13 yeah. lanterns. Yep, that was an integral part of the movie Johnny Tremaine. Uh, that a lot of this kind of ended up getting pulled from the 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 tree at the time was very sparse uh you can see yeah. there's not a lot of uh there's not a lot of growth on it there's not a lot of leaves struggle uh, so the they're move. probably not as prominent today as as, as they were yeah there. yeah and i, I want to say there is some story i believe about them grafting a second tree onto that tree okay no kidding yeah, to I help recall... fill it out they drilled. They drilled. Uh, they actually drilled branches onto it, didn't they? I think. I, I don't know something uh, like a. I think it was even like a different species, but yeah, it's way more filled out now. So so yeah, if you see that, I mean, they they, they really stand out uh, more so than than they obviously do today. It's yep. it just that jumped out at me. Yeah. Uh, you have anything before 415, Todd? Uh, no, my 452 is my next mark. So. Okay, well, 415 is the first good shot of Center Street, which right. Hal liked to point out. That you get a couple of good shots in this in this film of and the right stuff before... that has since been filled in with uh, the Emporium shops yeah. on the one side, and on the other side, they just took the flower market out for no and reason. That's, that's West Center Street for those who are interested. Yeah, yeah look at starting at 412. It's like there's this little upstairs, like with mm-hmm. wrought iron and little tables, just evocative of like something going up up there, which is reminds, awesome. Reminds me of Disneyland, actually, you know. And, yeah. In uh, New Orleans Square. Yeah, there's little shots of the art festival. It's like you see the Chinese laundry. Yep. I mean, there's like all these great little things that got lost over the years. Wow. And it really, you know, people say, ah, you just lost this little piece, West Street and East Street. But you have to understand, when you walk down Main Street then and you look to your left and right, it felt more expansive. It didn't feel like this this flume of people, right? <laughs> it, you know, that's all it is now. It's just It's just a pathway to get people. You know, and now it's, you know, uh, it's just, I don't know, it's its lost its, it's lost a lot by, by enclosing that emporium in there. So yeah. at the four and a half minute uh, mark, you see back when the candy shop used to actually make, had candy makers working in the window, I believe he's making peanut brittle here. 
Yeah, it looks like it. Uh, I think it's peanut brittle. He's got two big scoops, and it looks like he's, he's making peanut brittle. And then they cut to a really cool display uh, in the candy shop window of various Disney little figurines that they've then put candy either in their hands or their mouths and different items that they sell, which is a cute little display there. Oh, I got to I got to give props to the photographer. He really selected a lot of neat things to squeeze into. <laughs> well, he minutes. clearly either attended with people he didn't like or by himself. <laughs> well, there's a gr- just... there's this grumpy guy that comes up a couple times. Uh, he kind of he kind of he's wearing a yellow shirt. Yep. Uh you can see him. He kind of comes up a couple times. So I, I look at it at four forty. He's kind of like <laughs> macking on some of the Main Street girls. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh man, with the yellow hat. <laughs> yes. Look at that. They're not showing any ankles. Nope. Nope. Now is your next shot there the uh, barbershop, Todd, or is that is that something you noted, or was it the firehouse? Uh, no, it was four four fifty two, which would yes. would have been the barbershop. Yeah, yeah in the barbershop inside the original barbershop, and and right at four fifty three, you you've got one of the tour girls. She looks back toward uh, over her shoulder to the camera, breaks the um, fourth wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she's what twenty something there. So the, this this woman is uh, uh, collecting social security. Is, yeah, so she's <laughs> she's put her time in. Email uh, us at <laughs> yeah. Let us know if, you, if, you, if that's you. So yeah, I think the next one was um, inside of the firehouse at four fifty nine, which you can peer into today, right? Yeah, you can still peer in there. They for after nine eleven, it was filled with uh, like uh, what was it badges or something from yeah, like, all over the country. Oh yeah, firehouse became, like yeah, and it became like a firehouse themed like store. You could get like all <laughs> kinds of firehouse badges and like yeah, but they would let like any any firefighter who was coming from around the country to visit the parks, they could bring. I think they were badges or patches, patches, patches. Yeah. And, patches and, yeah. and and they added them to the wall inside mm-hmm. the firehouse. Yeah, there. I remember so that. It was a neat thing they were doing for about ten years. But the 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 last note I have from this film is that the five oh two mark, you see Mickey appear, and as Todd referenced a little earlier, you had a, a, a one of them freak Florida rainstorms that pops up for a half an hour. Mickey, the character, is walking with an umbrella in his hand. Yeah. Uh, a closed <laughs> umbrella, very which you would never hands. see today. I mean, two things. One, the attendant would have the umbrella if they even had one. Right. And two, they would obviously just pull the character right off the street if it started to pour rain. But in 1972, Mickey's yep. out there by himself, unattended, <laughs> carrying his own umbrella. He's out there stumping, <laughs> right. just handling it. Now, to go along with that that storm, look, look at 514. They're, <laughs> they're, they're leaving the Magic Kingdom. There's a, there's a guy at 514 selling balloons, and the things are near horizontal, <laughs> blowing towards the exit. Now, if you continue as they exit, and this guy did not stop taking film until he was practically on the monorail. He goes past some women again. He's got some characters. Um, but as they're getting uh, on the monorail around, I think we're coming up to around 5.28, the wind is whipping the trees. So I think they were they were exiting stage left there. <laughs> but my last comment on the film is from 5.30 up to, up to the end. Look at that view from the monorail um, looking towards the train. You cannot see the train anymore when it goes. It's all filled in now. Yeah. Um, so look at that view that you've got, uh, you know, of, of the railroad as you go by. So, wow. um, great stuff. Yep. Now I got to re- go back and recolor correct this. Brian, you want me to, you want me to go back and correct each individual frame by hand, right? Just to make sure that, that this color is pencil perfect. sketched them by hand. That's what you said you would do. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I will. You it weren't happy one... with the color correct. No, I wasn't. It was a tough one to restore. Actually, the the color was book. was really off. So I'm I'm gonna go back through and see if I can do this again. Um, now people are gonna say too. Oh well, the the color on the the blue and the moat will will look different. No, it, it that's that's the way it was. It's just that. 
don't know. There's a little too much yellow, I think, in this. But I found one more thing of note before we leave. This Go is for, for it. For the total nerds at uh, two fifteen is uh, this is like one of those like big controversial things in Disney history that I think like Dave Smith had a fit about or something. <laughs> so at at two fifteen, there's a sign for the Tinkerbell toy shop in yeah. Fantasyland, and Tinkerbell is one word instead of two words and i think that was something that like later on someone came in as like tinkerbell is always two words and they had to like change the sign around <laughs> <It> ch- <laughs> how dare you, you got to put a space between that that's it there we go proof 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 woe woe to the people who that's tweet it. or talk on social media about doctor who and say dr period instead of spelling out <laughs> doctor so he's not an actual md <laughs> no, that's Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. <laughs> oh man. Well, with that, guys, we have come to the end of another Retro Disney World podcast. But we do need to decide what do we do in the next episode. Now, we've been to Epcot, uh, we've done the preview, we've done some stuff uh, over in the Magic Kingdom, we've done some resorts. Um what 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 do you guys think next? Should we go back over the actually we really haven't done any specific attraction in the magic kingdom yet have we? other than tomorrowland right we did tomorrow we just did a full attraction for two episodes <laughs> something else so we do have something wanna... else well i i have a personal appeal uh, to go to, to the uh, pictorial souvenirs and ephemera and, and souvenirs and that type of stuff that's you know i can talk about a lot of that stuff but what else do you guys have well, I was going to say, like, maybe this is a chance for us to not only talk about our favorite souvenirs, but some of our favorite souvenir stores, too. All right. So why don't we make it a souvenir, ephemera, paperwork, bring them if you got them. Let's do that. We'll, we'll do show and tell and uh, bring your pile of stuff. Talk about your souvenirs, the stores. Somebody's going to mention the candle shop in Lake Buena Vista, I'm sure. Can we get a call out for people to tweet at us their souvenirs? Absolutely. Email us their souvenirs. Yes, send us your stuff. JT will be tweeting out and, and bothering all of our followers to send it stuff. But we want to see pictures. We want to see what you've got. And old stuff, right? Yes, Instagram 89 and prior. We don't want to see Disney MGM stuff, Jen. And if you have anything that's particularly interesting and valuable, be sure to tweet us your address <laughs> and, and when you're not home. Right, exactly. If you have that, we'll be sure to remove it from <laughs> So, all right. Well, with that, we've got next month's set, uh, episode seven. And uh, let's uh, give a shout out to our sponsors again, uh, pixel.com for sponsoring the film restoration portion. And uh, as well as uh, Chad Lincecum with www.map.com. So if you're interested in sponsoring us, feel free to email us at info at retro disneyworld.com. Uh, as always, you can find us at retro WDW on Twitter and we're on Facebook as well as retro Disney world. Uh, with that said, uh, JT, how and uh, Brian, uh, give them, your twitter uh, handles and we'll sign out you can find me on twitter at brian p miles you can find me how uh at go away green on twitter uh i am at ls1jt on twitter and then follow us on instagram retro wdw that's right we got some good pictures coming up so All right, with that said, we'll see you next month with Episode 7. And uh, Brian, take us out. Until next time, remember how easy it was to learn your ABCs? Thank the Phoenicians.
Yes, our world has indeed become a world of motion. We have engineered marvels that take us swiftly over land and sea, the air, and into space itself. And still bolder and better ideas are yet to come. Ideas that will fulfill our age-old dream to be free. Free in mind, free in spirit, free to follow the distant star of our ancestors to a brighter tomorrow. what? I got a fever. And the only prescription is more cowbell. <laughs>